you, John. Good morning. I'm glad to be with you. Um, I need to ask the congregation a question because John cannot tell the truth about this. It's impossible. How long does John normally preach on Sunday morning? What do you say? Oh, okay, good. I got plenty of time. So we don't have to be out of here by 10.30? Are you expecting 11.30? Are you expecting to be out by 11.30? Oh, don't worry. I'm not going to go as long as John, but I always make the preacher look bad because I'm a little bit shorter, but at least I don't have to try to finish in 15 minutes. Um, but I'm really glad to be with you. Thanks so much. I was in Memphis when you first started. I was actually the interim pastor at Independent Press while you guys were starting your church out here. And so I've kind of known about you from here, there, and people telling me this and telling me that. So I'm just delighted to be with you and glad to see you've got a new building coming out back there and that you're serving this community in ways that some of you may not even know, huh, Pastor John? But we're just glad that you are, and, um, and I'm thrilled to be with you. If you have a Bible, you'll want to turn with me probably to Matthew chapter 22. We read that passage this morning as part of our scripture reading, Matthew chapter 22. And this is a portion of the Bible that if you've been around the Bible or around Bible people, you've heard this passage before. But let me read it to you beginning in verse 34. This is the word of God we're about to read. So hear what the word of God says to us. Matthew 22, verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. May God add his rich blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we have just heard words that you said 2,000 years ago. And here we are living today seeking to understand what you said so long ago and how it should be a part of our lives today. And so we turn to you. We trust no one like we trust you. We hope in no one like we hope in you. We long to see no one like we long to see you. And so we ask you please now to send Holy Spirit to us. May he come and open our eyes to see and our ears to hear. And we will give you the praise and the honor for it as you do. Amen. I think we all know from daily experience that little things can bother you so much that they distract you a lot. You know, like when your eye starts to itch and you have to scratch it and then you have to scratch it again. You have to scratch it again. And little things like that, like a little backache or maybe your toes are hurting this morning. Oh, somebody's toes are hurting, I can tell. And you're thinking about it. And of course, often these tiny little distractions can get you to the point that um, you miss something important. Maybe you miss that doctor appointment. Or maybe you forget to do what you promised your wife you would do when you got home. Oh, I'm sorry, my, my ears were itching. Uh, it's like life is like that. Little distractions can really take your eyes off the things that are 
well, much more important than the little distraction. But I would have to say that today, everybody in this room has been distracted, and not by just a little itch. We've been distracted by all kinds of major things, haven't we? For about a year, year and a half now. Can you admit that that's true? It's called the COVID virus. What a distraction. Now let's admit that in our part of the world right now, we're feeling a sigh of relief. We feel like, okay, we can finally start breathing easy again. Maybe things are going to get better. Vaccinated, not vaccinated, I don't care. But anyway, we're starting to feel a little bit easier here. I get texts and phone calls from people all over the world who are telling me it's not over here. It's getting worse here. So remember that while we enjoy the fact that COVID may be on the decline around us, it's really not for our other brothers and sisters around the world, but it's been a distraction, right? And a major distraction. And if little distractions can get you off base and make you forget important things, just imagine what a huge thing like a pandemic can do to your life. Now, you may feel as if, well, well, we we're done with COVID. But I hate to tell you this, so you all know it, you're being distracted by other things. And that would be primarily the sort of things that are going on in the news every day these days about how our country, our culture is split and divided and in many people's estimations, including mine, falling apart right before our eyes. Is that distracting you a little bit? Well, when you're worried about what's going to happen about your job or what's going to happen to your children or what's going to happen to your grandchildren, when those kinds of itches start happening in your life, it's really easy, it's really easy to lose sight of what's important in life. And maybe you haven't even noticed it, but let's hope that when we hear what Jesus says in this passage we just read, that maybe you can start asking the question, have I forgotten what's most important? Because that's what a lawyer, you know you're in trouble, right? That's what a lawyer asks Jesus. Jesus, out of everything that's in the scriptures, out of everything that God has commanded, what's the most important? Now, of course, he didn't go to church like you do, and he didn't go to the kind of church that you go to because if he had done that, he would have said, it's all important. All of it is important. You can't set one thing higher than another. But Jesus didn't do that, did he? He knew exactly what to say. He said the most important thing in the whole Bible is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Then he went on to say, and love your neighbor as yourself. These are the most important things that my followers should always observe, always keep in mind, always know that this is what's the most significant thing in our faith and our lives before God, to love God and to love our neighbors. Well, when Jesus says this is the most important, that means that if you're a follower of Jesus, that no matter what distractions are coming, whether it's a tiny little itch in your eye or something as dramatic as a pandemic or something as heartbreaking as a culture that you're used to and the culture that you belong to falling apart all around you, no matter what those distractions may be, we have to come back to what's most important. Loving God and loving our neighbor. Are you ready to do that?
ready to reassess? Well, maybe in all of my Christian walking, and I've been a Christian for many years now, maybe in all my Christian talk and all my Christian concerns and all the things that I'm involved in in my faith and in my religion, maybe I have lost sight of the most important things that are around me and the most important things that I should be focusing on, the most important things that I should be committed to day after day. If you can say that's a possibility for for yourself, then you can hear these words of Jesus. Because these people, these Pharisees and the lawyer among them, they were concerned about the Bible. And they knew that the Bible was just jammed with all kinds of things that faithful people are supposed to do. And so they were actually asking Jesus a trick question because it was something that they debated in Jesus' day. What's the most important of all these things? After all, many of us have never even read the whole Bible, and we certainly can't remember what we've read. Say amen, somebody. Okay, so you got to get it down to what's most important. And Jesus didn't hesitate for a moment, and he said, the greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And he's quoting from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you know much about the Old Testament at all, you probably love the book of Deuteronomy. It's one of those books that we say, yep, that's a great book. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, we have to be a little careful here because now I want you to notice that Jesus did not say, you shall obey the Lord your God. He did not say you should learn about the Lord your God. What he said was, you shall love the Lord your God. And we really have to be careful with that word because we live in a world, much like in Bible days, where the word love is thrown around, thrown around rather casually and it means a lot of things to a lot of people in a lot of different ways. I can remember just two years ago, maybe two and a half years ago now, I was in Indonesia, Bali, Indonesia. Yeah, I know, it's a hard life, this missionary thing, right? Going down to Bali. But I was in the home of a Buddhist man, the father of a Christian family, but nevertheless, he was Buddhist, American, okay? And I became very sick in his home, and he uh, got the hospital to come and take care of me. It was a very dramatic time, and Afterwards, I had come back home, and he called me on the phone, and he said, Rich, um, I need to ask you, what is it about your life that makes you so different? That's what he said. Because as I laid dying on the floor of his house, um, he shook me, and he said, you're not going to make it. And I opened my eyes, and I said, that's okay. I'm ready for this. And he said, "I I I can't get out of my head. But you kept saying as you were dying in front of me, you're ready for this. Well, I am ready for this. And do you know why? Yeah, his name is Jesus. And I know him. And death doesn't scare me at all. So I said, yeah, I'm ready for this. And he wanted to know, well, I'm not ready for this. What do I have to do? And I said, well, Charlie, what you have to do is you have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. It was right out of this passage, right? I didn't know what to say to him, so I just said that to him. And he said, oh, I love God. I love God a lot. Remember, he's a Buddhist. He said, I love God a lot. I carry a picture of Jesus in my wallet. That's what he thought it meant to love God, to carry a picture of Jesus and like Jesus and admire Jesus by carrying a picture of Jesus in his wallet. 
Well, that's the way it is with lots of people, not just Buddhists in Bali. It's the way it is around here too. Have you noticed that? Oh, yeah, I love God. I'm okay with God. I like him. He likes me. Why? Well, I got a picture of him in my wallet, meaning I got him in my back pocket. I'll pull him out when I need him. I'll talk with him when I need him. But don't ask me to change my life and don't ask me to be committed to him. No, no, that's way too much. I love him. I may not obey him. I may not do the sorts of things he wants me to do, but I love him. After all, I live in Tennessee. Right? So this isn't just a weird thing that a Buddhist over in Indonesia would say. This is what people would say to you, people with whom you live, people with whom you work every single day. People all around you would say, I love the Lord your God. So we have to be real careful to know what Jesus meant when he said that the greatest commandment in the whole Bible is to love God. And I hate to tell you this, but it doesn't mean that you've got Jesus in your back pocket. What did it mean? Well, to know what it meant when Jesus said this, you got to get in a time machine with me. You got to go back in time. I mean, way back in time, back in the days of pyramids and ziggurats and things like that. I mean, thousands of years ago, you know, back to the days of people like Charlton Heston and Joel Brenner, those guys. Okay, are you with me? Are you back in those days? That's a reference to the movie Ten Commandments for those of you that don't know that. Okay, So back to those days, Okay, back to the way things were. Not when Jesus lived, but when Moses wrote those words in Deuteronomy. Now, it's going to shock you to know this, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you. That was a world full of pharaohs and emperors and kings. And one of the things we know about those ancient emperors and kings and pharaohs was this. The primary thing they told the people of their kingdoms was this. I want you to love me. And in the book of Deuteronomy, this is what God was saying to Israel. I am your king and I want you to love me as your king. That would be weird, wouldn't it, if politicians got up today and said, the most important thing I want you to do is to love me. That would be weird. But we know what it means. What it meant back in the old days, way back there in time, and what it meant when Jesus said it again, was this. I am your king, and I have done all these wonderful things for you. I provide for you every day. I protect you. I take care of you. I am your leader I am a gracious and kind king to you. And what I want you to do in response to me is to love me, not just a little, not love me by putting a picture of me in your back pocket, but to love me with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, because you know how much I have done for you. Now, I can say that to you, and you can say, yeah, I can get it. God is my king, and okay, I'm supposed to love him with everything I've got, from deep within to the outside of my life, everything I've got, I've got to be in love with him. But we have to stop for just a minute and ask ourselves this question and realize that we just really don't have much idea what it would mean to say that God is our king. I mean, after all, I'm looking around the room, and I think everybody in here probably is an American. 
right? Is that right? Anybody not an American in here? Okay, we don't want to focus on you, but we do want to make the point this, and this is the point. We Americans don't have a king. We have never had a king. So we don't have a clue what it means to live under the authority of a king. As far as we're concerned, anybody that governs us gets the right to govern us because we consent to them. We give them the right. We are in charge in the United States of America. We have no kings in this country. I come from Virginia. I come from Virginia. And I know this is a volunteer state, but let me tell you about a real free state. Okay? Early Virginia. And this is what... I want you to know what the state flag of Virginia is like. Uh, most people know it's got a nice blue satin background. Right, John? And in the center of it is a circle. I have to have John confirm. Google it while we're sitting here. Pull out your phones and look. Okay? It don't, won't bother me. In the middle is a circle. And inside of this circle is a woman who is standing over a man lying dead on his back on the ground, and off of his head has fallen a crown. So it's a woman standing over a dead king. She's got her spear in one hand and her foot on the chest of this dead king. You got the picture here? And written at, around that circle are these words in Latin, Sic semper tyrannis, thus always to tyrants. Got the message? We are not going to have a king in the state of Virginia. And if anybody tries to become our king, Virginians know exactly what to do. We send our women after them. I mean, I think that's what the message is anyway. Well, this is a hard lesson for you and me to learn, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. That if you live in a country where you have a government that is of the people, by the people, and for the people, it isn't long before you have religion that's of the people, by the people, and for the people. Welcome to American Christianity. I will love God, but just so long as it fits into my, into my agenda. He will be my king insofar as I give him consent. But when kings in the ancient world of the Bible announced, I want you to love me, this is what they meant. I want you to be loyal to me. I want you to be grateful to me. I want you to understand all the things I have done, and I want you to respond with gratitude and loyal love to me because of all that I have done for you. And as Moses wrote and as Jesus repeated, not just a little bit, not just on the edges of your life, but with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, everything you've got belongs to him. Human kings are strange. That's why we reject them. Somehow or another, they believe that their agenda is more important than yours. Can you believe that? Somehow or another, they think that their will is more important than your will, that their projects are more important than your projects, that you ought to be happy to serve their glory. In fact, you ought to be happy to die for their glory. 
That's why we reject human kings, as we should. But the wonderful thing about the God of heaven and earth is that he deserves to have all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength in loyal love to him because his agenda is more important than yours and mine. His ways are more significant than what happens in your ways. His glory is what all things are for, not for your glory and your happiness and your delight. And this is where it begins, friends. This is where it begins. In a world that is calling out to us every single day, look this way, worry about that, think about this, watch this newscast, look at this 24-hour news cycle, look at this horrible thing that's happening, look at this terrible thing that's happening. In a world that's calling us to be distracted, you and I must say, in the midst of all of that, I have one Lord, I have one love, and my love is for God and God alone. But let's just tell the truth about it for a minute. A lot of us are a lot more loyal to our favorite football team than we are to the Lord our God. And by that I mean, if your team is winning, do you just sort of shrug your shoulders and say, well, whatever? No, of course not. If your team is losing, do you just sort of say, well, yeah, not a big deal. No, that's not what you do. Because you're loyal to your football team, you get excited when they win, and when they don't win, you get upset about it. Somebody say an amen to that, please. I know. But can you not see that our hearts are more in tune with what's happening with our football team than it is with what's happening with the kingdom of our Lord and our God? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord, if you have never met him, if you've never had the forgiveness of sins, let me just tell you something. Jesus offers you the opportunity to belong to the king of the universe. He offers you the opportunity to be a part of a kingdom that will never fail. He offers you the opportunity to have a king who will be yours, precious, benevolent, Father in heaven, and he will take care of you all the way through this life and in the world to come. He'll take care of you with all kinds of benevolence. And what he calls on us to do is to love him with every single thing we've got so that distractions are now known for what they actually are, distractions. What will happen to your faith if the COVID pandemic comes back to this place? What will happen to your faith if you never get another job? What will happen to your faith if this country of ours absolutely collapses on itself? Is your faith, is your loyalty, is your love in those kinds of things? Or is your faith, loyalty, and love in the Lord your God? It's time for us. It's time for us to say, I have no other king but the Lord himself. When Moses first penned those words in the book of Deuteronomy, the Israelites were challenged by the fact that all the peoples they were running into had all kinds of gods, all kinds of idols everywhere. And a lot of those idols, you won't believe this, but I'm going to go ahead and say it, 
a lot of those idols they called the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah. So they were confused, of course. Which one is the true God? And this is why just before this commandment to love God, Moses said this to Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. There is but one Lord and one God over all things, and he is the one who has now revealed himself in Jesus of Nazareth. That is your God. That is your Lord. Love him more than anything in your life. Let the world crumble around you because the kingdom of our great king will never fail. Now, I don't know about you, but I wish Jesus had just stopped there. Because, let me, let me just put it this way. I love texting. Does anybody in here like texting? Would you please read? Yeah, thank you very much. And thank you. I've got a few people that would tell the truth in here. I love texting. You know why? It's because in the old days when you had to call people on the phone, you'd always have to say, hey, how's it going? How are the grandkids? How's your wife? Uh, what's happening with you? Are you feeling okay today? And you take about 15 minutes. I mean, this is what we do in the South, right? Talking about this, talking about that, talking about this, and finally get to the point, right? But when you text, you don't do that. When you text, you just say, hey, will you call me? Or, hey, I need this. And, you know, you send a sentence or two, I'd love it. I mean, my wife and I talk to each other more than ever in our whole marriages for 48 years. But it's all by text because I don't want to get into her life and she didn't want to get into the message of my life. So it's just a quick text. How's it going? And in fact, we can, <laughs> it's really funny, you can communicate so much with just one letter. Okay? So my wife will text me. She'll write, she'll text the word, the letter K with a question mark. K? And I'll type back K. You know what that said? I love you. I care about you. I'm thinking about you. I'm worried about you. Are you okay? And I text back and I say K. And that means thank you very much for thinking about me. Please keep me in your prayers because I'm facing all kinds of challenges and my back hurts and my feet hurt. And But I'm okay. Uh, so I love texting. Um, if you ask a person a question, texting, they'll answer the question and they won't keep talking. You know people like that just keep on talking? And you're, you're, talking on the, you're talking to them on the phone and you have to do this because they're talking about something else and you've got work to do? Does anybody know? I'm not going to ask you to con confess that one, but I know you do it. And um, Jesus has asked a simple question. What's the greatest commandment? And he tells them, love the Lord. Everything you got is the first and greatest commandment. If he had left it alone at that, the Pharisees would have felt fairly comfortable. No one, none of them would have disagreed with that. And we would feel comfortable too. But rather being like me with text, K, uh, Jesus keeps talking. Just like your friend that you take the phone and go like this as you keep working. He kept talking. And he said, the second greatest commandment is like the first. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Ah. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that 
is a quotation from the Old Testament too. Remember I told you the first one's from Deuteronomy? This is a quotation from another part of the Old Testament, your favorite book in the Bible. Does anybody know where it comes from? Leviticus. Isn't that your favorite book in the Bible? And it's from your favorite chapter in the book of Leviticus, chapter 19. I know you've all read it. You probably read it this morning before you came to church, just to remind yourself of how glorious it is, right? Leviticus chapter 19. So here's Jesus pulling out a passage of Deuteronomy that everybody goes, yeah, that's really a good one. That's really important, obviously. And then he matches it up and ties it up and couples it with a passage from Leviticus chapter 19. Love your neighbor as yourself. Why in the world did he do that? Well, get back in that time machine with me. Get back to Charlton Heston and Yule Brenner days. Okay, go back there again. I'm going to tell you why Jesus did this. Remember how I told you that in the ancient world of the Bible, great kings would always say to their people, the number one thing I want you to do is to love me because you need to be loyal to your king or our kingdom will not succeed. That's number one. But then these ancient kings would also say this. I'm not fooling with you. This is really true. They would also say this to the people of their great kingdoms. They would say, I want you to love each other. Now you have to understand why. Because sometimes these empires were vast, covering thousands and thousands of square miles. And that meant that they had all kinds of people in them. I mean, it wasn't just one little nation. It was all kinds of nations that had been conquered or annexed by the great king and turned into his kingdom. And this meant that these people spoke different languages. They had different customs. They had different priorities. They cared more about their own people than they cared about anybody else. You with me on this? And so the king knew something. He knew that if he was going to have a strong kingdom, if he was going to have a great empire, then he, the people of his empire had to stick together. So if there's a famine in one part of the empire, everybody else is to help them out by sending them food. If there's an attack in one part of the empire, everybody else is to send their soldiers and join in the battle too. If there's an earthquake, if there's trouble of any sort, then no matter who those people are, whether you like them or not, if you love me, you're going to love them too. If you're loyal to me, you're going to be loyal to them also. And that's the background of the words of Moses that Jesus quotes here. you got a king, and you're to love him with everything you've got. But the most important thing to remember after that is this. Our great king wants you to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And on these two commands depend all the law and all the prophets. You want to know what God wants you to do? There it is. Love him and then love your neighbor as yourself. I don't know about you, but the first command... It makes sense to me because God has been so good to me. And if you can look back on your life and see how the Lord has been kind to you and good to you and how he sustains you through all kinds of trials, you can understand. It makes sense that God would say, I want you to love me. But love my neighbor? 
that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And I'll tell you why. It's because my neighbors have betrayed me. My neighbors have hurt my feelings. My neighbors have done this to me. My neighbors do that to me. Even in the Christian family. But Jesus says it's the second greatest commandment. In fact, it's so close to the first commandment that it's a photo finish. That if you've got the first commandment in the frame, the second commandment is in the frame also. The New Testament tells us, like in a book like 1 John, that if you claim to love God whom you cannot see, and you don't love your brother, your sister, whom you do see, you're lying. Far too long, we American Christians have had this comfort zone that we've lived in for centuries, actually. A comfort zone that has made it okay for us to separate, for us to divide among each other, for us to get angry at each other, for us to split a church and then split another church, then split another church, and on and on it goes. We've had this sort of safe place called the United States of America where the opposition to Christianity has not been so obvious. Some of you are old enough to remember those days. It wasn't that long ago. Just 25, 30, 40 years ago, you could look around you and almost everybody went to church. I remember in my neighborhood, it was forbidden by voluntary, voluntary uh, prohibition that nobody would mow their yard on Sunday. Why? It's the Lord's Day. And I can remember as I was growing up that everybody in my neighborhood went to church on Sunday morning. Now, when things are that comfortable, when you feel at home in the culture you're a part of and things are holding together around you, um, it's very easy to start picking fights over things you shouldn't have to pick fights over, isn't it? It's like in your family. Oh, I can say it to her. She loves me. She won't leave me. Whoops. Oh, I can tell my kids this. I can throw them down the tubes and I can lock them in a room and things like that. And That's okay because they're my kids. They love me. Whoops. Well, that's the way we've been able to treat each other, isn't it? As followers of Christ, this is how we've been able to treat each other because we felt safe. Welcome to the new world. A world that's not like that anymore for you and me. Where the enemy is not the other denomination across the street. But now where the enemy is very plain. We live in a culture today where the lines have been drawn. And they've been drawn between a godless mentality that wants to rob you and your children and your grandchildren of everything holy. Have you noticed that? And in a world like that, we are facing exactly what those ancient kings faced. Jesus wants his kingdom to be strong in this world. And for his kingdom to be strong, we must 
love one another. You know, we Presbyterians love John Calvin, don't we? Somebody say an amen to that, please. All right, thank you very much. One of the best things about John Calvin was that he was a um, he wrote letters, and usually we don't know anything about his letters, but there was a struggle going on in one of the Reformed or Calvinistic churches in Berlin, and the struggle was between one generation of the congregation and the next generation of the congregation. Sound familiar? Okay. The new ones and the old ones, okay? And they had had fights with people back in England, and they left there and went over to Germany to try to worship God the way they thought that God wanted them to worship rather than the way that the Anglicans, archbishops, told them they had to worship. And But when the second generation came, they bumped into problems because the first generation had created their own rules over here on how we're going to worship, and the second generation didn't like those rules, having a fight. So they write to John Calvin. They said, what should we do? He said all kinds of things, but this is the most important thing in my mind that he said to them was this. You are making war with each other as if you are at peace with the world. You are making war with each other as if you are at peace with the world. I've been married for 48 years now. Unbelievable. <laughs> to the same person, okay? 48 years. In Virginia, you can get married when you're 12 years old. If she's not your first cousin, it's okay, okay? So for 48 years, I've been married. And uh, when Gina and I, man, we used to have big arguments. I mean big ones, really big ones. But now we're so old, we've been married for so long, we don't have very big arguments anymore. And in fact, when a disagreement starts coming up, we'd say about two sentences and we both sort of automatically stop and say, it's not going to be worth it, is it? Nah, we're not going anywhere, are we? No. And so we just sort of give up on it. That's a good place to be, by the way, if you're married. It's sort of like, it's not worth the fight, is it? Nah, it's really not. But you know how easy it is, even in your own family, to make war with each other as if you're at peace with the world. And how it is possible for Bible-believing, Christ-loving, God-fearing Christians to make war with each other as if we are at peace with the world. Well, friends, we are not at peace with the world anymore. They are coming after you. They are coming after your children. They are coming after your grandchildren. And to resist that, we have to love our neighbors as ourselves. In a world that's full of distractions, like ours is right now, You've got to get back to the basics. You've got to get back to the most important things that the Bible teaches. And when Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing in the Bible? He spoke up with such clarity. The most important thing is this. We have a king, and we are to serve him with everything we have. And the second is like it. We have a king, 
who wants a kingdom to be strong and a kingdom divided against itself will not stand. So love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend all the law and all the prophets. Amen.